We're going to end this week with a preview of some free information, both in visual and written formats, that I've been deliberating on showing you for many months now. It's not for the faint of heart, and I certainly abhor the idea of this channel becoming a chicken little, the skies falling, clown show of hyperbolic content week to week. But this real threat is worth viewing and reading directly. For over a decade now, many in the physical precious metals industry have been talking about if you don't hold it, you don't own it, and even about taking direct delivery of stock shares so worst comes to pass, you're not left with your broker up and vanishing with what you supposedly thought that you owned. Well, if you perhaps ever wondered how by the year 2030 we could ever collectively get to a WEF dystopia where we in the masses own nothing and are somehow still happy, well then you might want to stay tuned to the second half of this week's update for a preview of how that just might go down. Now some of the authors suggested remedies you might not agree with, but his research over decades to present day are accurate and sourced in his free plus 100 page PDF of which I'll link in the show notes and pin top comments below, as well as a video documentary series that runs for just over an hour of time and might be the easiest way to kind of start out by watching that entire doc and then reading the PDF to follow. Now hopefully the author ends up being incorrect in his concerns, but I'll leave you to judge and research the content further if you deem it worthy after the preview that you see here. If he is even partially correct in his current thesis of our coming futures, I would very much regret in not having tipped you off to his work and viewpoints. As I said, we'll get into the aforementioned information in the second half of this week's SD Bullion Market Update, but first we gotta dig into some details about why the spot gold price ramped to a new all-time nominal record price high of over 2,158 ounce in early somewhat illiquid last Sunday evening electronic trading hours just before Asian markets opened fully. Not surprisingly, today's phony jobs report number was helpful to pound spot gold down from around 2,030 an ounce to below the 2,000 ounce uh, building floor of support. But gold popped up to end the week, still closed above the important psychological figure. And that's the third week in a row of it being closed above 2,000 an ounce. We have seen the prices at an all-time high this time around yet again in COMEX. Actually, in the opening trade itself, we saw the prices jump up by $75 an ounce. I mean, the liquidity also was slightly on the lower side, so you will have to give it to lower uh, uh, liquidity and higher price moves that we saw into the markets there. But it clearly has been an all-time high, and this is in case of COMEX that the street clearly has been waiting for for a long time now. Because in this year, we have seen all-time highs already being created in case of uh, China, Thailand, Japan, Korea, etc. India has been making all-time highs since last week as well. So it was only a matter of time that we saw that happen in the international markets as well. Yes. The markets have been looking at uh, the prices in 2023. Uh, you know, this is this is what we've done in sense of prices in this year. We started the year with 1823 of a low. We did see 2051. All-time high for gold is 2078 until then. And then we saw the prices crash all over again up to 1810. Well, the support comes in on the back of geopolitical uncertainty, the weakness in US dollar. The dollar index, remember, declined by 4% in the month of November and that is where the max gains came in from as well. And then there has been an attack on American warships and commercial tankers within the Red Sea that has added to some geopolitical support as well. And there is a World Gold Council report that says that almost 24% of all central banks have said that they will increase reserves in gold in the next 12 months. 
Last year was a record high. This year until now has been record numbers in sense of gold buying from, uh, from global central banks and that has been supportive as well. And then the street is looking at the CME Fed tool watch which suggests that there is a 97 probability that there will be no rate hike in the month of December, 60% probability of a rate cut in March and an 80% probability of a rate cut coming in for the month of May and that clearly is bullish in case of gold. What the street is looking for in this week now is the non-farm payroll, payroll data coming in from U.S. Near-term directions would come in from that. Judging by COMEX trading volume levels involved in the gold price takedown uh, come Monday morning in New York last, the trading volume levels were relatively high, but nothing compared to ridiculously obvious prior gold price riggings in our not-too-distant past. For example, the Trump election night into the following morning, we had a 24-hour $100 an ounce gold price swing, and that on a percentage and volume trading basis is still perhaps the most egregious example of phony gold price discovery crimes in plain view. The types of gold price chart painting like this, they help certainly delay the inevitable. But in doing so, it's only made the eventual moves to come more violent than they ever might have once been if simply left to be determined by the market itself. If you are somehow new to the fact that these fiat financialized futures markets often dictate commodity prices in the real world, still often from the top down, dominating the short and medium term, uh, you might want to do more research. In doing so, you'll likely come to the conclusion, agreeing with me, that prudent allocation into physical bullion ownership is the best asymmetric bet on this sector and bull market unfolding. Now, let's both hear from and hand it to <clears throat> CPM Group's Jeffrey Christian for being somewhat accurate on his call from over five and a half years ago, uh, one which he said record nominal gold and silver price highs would be coming by 2024. Let's hear what Jeff had to say about gold's strong Sunday night price move higher. Tell us, why did gold hit that spot gold anyway, hit a record high overnight? It's not quite clear to us yet. We're waiting for some data that will be available on Tuesday. But you know, what happened was there was a surge when trading on the COMEX recommenced electronically at 6 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. Uh, there was within about 18 minutes, a surge of trading volume. And you saw about 4.3 million ounces of gold futures contracts trade within 32 minutes. It's very important to understand it wasn't a single trade. It was thousands of trades over a half hour that drove the price up from around, I think, around 2060 at the time to about 2150 or so. The, the high was $2,152. And then it came back down to $2,038. It's about $2,050 right now. It was a large number of trades. Now, Jeffrey, what's your outlook for gold in the near and short term? <laughs> we have been predicting a sharp increase in gold prices in you know the final quarter of this year and into 2024-2025. Uh, I think this is a taste of what to expect um, as the political and economic worlds unfold over the next 12 to 24 months. So this is in line what we've been expecting. We have been for several years urging investors to curb their enthusiasm hmm. and pace themselves, saying that it would probably be 2024, 2025 before we saw this. Now, gold prices set record price levels 
in 2020, 2021, 2022, and again, they're setting record levels in 2023. But, you know, that's been what we've seen as a precursor to a more forceful upward move this uh, in 2024, 2025. And, and this just sort of confirms what we've been saying for the last four years. So, referring to last Sunday night, there were reports of drone attacks on maritime ships in the Red Sea near the very important Suez Canal. That could have certainly spiked gold longs in the opening hours of trading in Asia. The U.S. military was quick to blame Iran as the financing power behind the drone attacks coming out of war-torn Yemen. And, of course, a few days later, guess who visited Moscow to further close ties and publicly condemned the continued bombing of Gaza as an ongoing war crime in motion? Iran is one of the major remaining Middle East countries at the Pentagon long since the early 2000s, and neocons have been trying to subvert and overturn. I mean, they had a list of like seven countries, and they pretty much knocked them out. I mean, they had Syria, Libya, Iraq, Lebanon. I mean, you know, you name it. A lot of these countries have kind of gone by the wayside. The old Soviet client regimes, they wanted to topple those regimes and pincer in, you know, Russia. And in doing so, they made Russia and China become better, closer allies. So bravo, Pentagon. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that was one thing, one reason people perhaps thought, you know, oh man, we're escalating in terms of war. The other one is just simply technically. I mean, if you were trying to blow out people uh, who were on the short side, if you came in and just blew out the price quickly, you'd all of a sudden get them algorithmically stop lossing quickly and the price would zoom up. And then you could uh, at that moment then sell and take a huge profit from getting them when their feet were, you know, when they were on their back feet and not realizing that that, that attack was coming. So it could be another form of just a simply a short term manipulation upwards to try and make a short-term profit really quickly because a lot of these people have become, a lot of people on the short side have become a little bit complacent because they, you know, the last three years we've been moving sideways and a lot of people thought, oh, it's not going to get through its high anytime soon, you know, because they're not cutting rates until next year. But but that type of energy is already building and the expectations for rate cuts next year are coming. And what gold does generally is it front runs. It, gold will move well ahead of time because those in, who are trading gold in big, big, in big momentum and big leverage, they kind of understand what's happening and they kind of front run it. Before the Iranian powers that be visited Putin in Russia this past week, Putin dragged his head central banker to Saudi Arabia for a visit in person. Continued shifts and alliances toward a more multipolar world continue, perhaps involving more direct trading using critical commodities each respective country is a powerhouse in, that being gold, for instance, in Russia and oil in Saudi Arabia. Of course, nothing official was announced from the visit, but even veteran financial plumbing developers are stating the obvious in their tweets. This last month of November 2023, China added another over 11 metric tons to its growing official gold reserve number, adding gold officially in consecutive months for over a year now running. Of course, we'll wait to see if this year's admitted collective central bank gold bullion buying will break last year's all-time high level, to put over 1,000 metric tons of gold bullion in context, that's over one-fourth of all new gold mined and refined in a typical calendar year. In other words, the central bank class is already admitting to taking one-fourth of annual physical gold supplies. Meanwhile, and continuing onwards, silver supplies are getting sucked into solar panels, mostly put into China, which continues to do that at a torrid pace. Bloomberg showed just that this week. Note the red China bars exploding in silver-required solar panel demand this year, 2023, and projected to continue growing through the remainder of this decade into next. Now stick around on the other side of this minute and a half break. We're going to dive into the threat especially aimed at the U.S. stock market investors 
were it ever to come to pass. Hello, this is James Anderson on behalf of SD Bullion. Smash the like button if you enjoy these Bullion market updates. Subscribe to our channel here for weekly Bullion market updates with exclusive Bullion service offerings like this one. Did you know that some people believe that red and green are the official Christmas colors? Crazy, right? So I'm leveling up my holiday decorating this year and raising awareness of silver, the true Christmas color. There are so many people that don't even know they're decorating all wrong. But never fear, Silver Steve is here to help. You've all got your Christmas colors all wrong. It's not red, it's not green, just silver. Now give me an S. But to reach people, it's not enough to just tell them about silver. You have to find creative ways to show them why silver is the true color of Christmas. I mean, I even offered to paint someone's car for them. There's been a little resistance. But thanks to SD Bullion's holiday collection offering some of the best silver of the season, raising silver awareness is easier than ever. Oops. Hey, who's out there? Well, ah, time to go. The SD Bullion holiday collection. Get it before it's gone. Get him, Brutus! Good doggy! Good doggy! The spot silver and gold markets ramped to start the week, only to get sold off to close. The spot silver price finished the week weekly, respective to falling gold, and thus the spot gold-silver ratio ramped to 87. The spot silver price closed just over 23 an ounce bid, and the spot gold price ended just over $2,004 an ounce bid to finish the week. Onwards to a preview of the great taking. After reading and watching the information, I'm struck to suggest that there have been many, quote, great taking eras throughout U.S. financial history. And I'd argue they play out faster and seem to increasingly come along more often in our 21st century than ever before. But if we look back, I would suggest the 1873 demonetization of silver helped contribute to bankruptcies, especially in the newly settled Midwest and Western USA. And that took multiple decades to play out, leading to the progressive free silver movement that ultimately failed to politically help then suppress silver price and the ongoing values of silver at the time. The Great Depression in the 1930s, where just over one-fourth of all private circulating U.S. gold coinage was turned into Federal Reserve Banks, just before the U.S. dollar got devalued from $20.67 an ounce to the still too low level of $35 an ounce. Now, you could argue it should have been more like $70 an ounce, for half that number didn't cover the amount of unbacked dollar currency creation which was rampant in the 1920s stock market bubble era. It was only in World War II that pulled us out of that great taking quagmire. Then there's the 2008 global financial crisis and the 2020 COVID PPP looting of the treasury. Of course, those two are more recent examples of great takings, albeit on much smaller scales than what is about to be described and played in a brief video preview format. The Great Taking is a 2023 book and video by financial analyst David Rogers Webb. He argues that the global economy is reaching a point where rising interest rates will trigger a cascade of defaults on debt, leading to widespread asset seizures and a significant transfer of wealth from individuals to the quote, protected class of financial elite, citing case law from the 2008 Lehman Brothers as future precedent. 
Webb proposes that this, quote, rate-taking is inevitable and will result in a complete restructuring of the global financial system. His research claims for... His research claims for now near five decades running, powerful financial elites have been working to implement a global system of control, including the potential seizure of all individual paper, asset, property, and on-paper wealth. His theory overlaps with concerns about the rise of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, as a result of the coming fallouts. Here's a brief but important 10-minute section from his recent documentary video version of his book and overall thesis, like I said, I will backlink the PDF and the video documentary in the show notes and pinned comment at the top below. So in 2008, I noticed the first failure of a broker dealer. So I was expecting there to be a lot of insolvencies. I was paying attention. And the thing that shocked me was that the client accounts in this broker dealer were encumbered in the bankruptcy estate of the broker that never could have happened before. In all of the history of securities, they were personal property. And if the broker failed, you would say, I'm sorry, you're out of business. Here's where you can transfer my assets. That did not happen in this case. So I started digging into what could possibly have changed. And this was as serious as a heart attack, given that we were going into this meltdown at that time. That's when I discovered it had been done through changes to the Uniform Commercial Code in the United States. This had been done in all 50 states. So it was something that could be done very quietly over a long period of time and did not have to be done at the federal level, didn't draw attention. What they did was to create a new legal construct of a security entitlement. Now prior to this, as I said, securities for 400 years were personal property. This concept of a security entitlement severed that. That's its purpose. So what people then have in institutions and uh, pension funds, even sophisticated investors, all they have is an entitlement. It's a claim, it's a contractual claim, which is very weak in the event of insolvency. So it's an appearance of ownership. It's sometimes referred to as beneficial ownership, which sounds nice, but what it means is that you receive dividends, you receive a proxy, you are the owner of title. You can, of course, you can buy it and sell it, but you can see in documents that I've found that the legal owner is actually the entity that controls the security with a secured interest. They are the legal owners of the property. So now you have a contractual claim. Next, all of the securities are held in pooled form. So you have no specific identification. It used to be that with paper certificates, they were numbered. You had a specific numbered bond or stock share certificate. So now they're fungible fungible bulk, book entry form, pooled. Further, we know, and it is absolutely irrefutable from the Fed's own response to a questionnaire from the EU, that even segregated accounts, even people or 
or institutions that have been told that their securities are segregated are in the same pool and entitled to only a pro rata share in the event of an insolvency of the custodian. So again, segregation is just an appearance. People are told that it's an absolute subterfuge. And the shocking thing is that even sophisticated institutional investors do not understand this or they don't want to know it. Further, even if fraud, outright fraud is committed by the custodian, that does not obviate the ability of the secured creditors to take the securities from these pools ahead of the people who thought they owned them. Then there was, in 2005, a change to the bankruptcy law in the United States, creating something called safe harbor. Again, that sounds nice, but what safe harbor means is safe harbor for the secured creditors to take the client assets and to make that absolutely certain that even in the event of fraud, they will take the client assets. So prior to this change in bankruptcy law, there was something called fraudulent transfer, fraudulent conveyance. And the trustee, the bankruptcy trustee, had a duty to claw back any assets that had been fraudulently transferred. So this change was made in 2005. And then with the failure of Lehman Brothers, this was cemented in case law. And we can see the judgment by the bankruptcy court related to this. What happened there was that JP Morgan was both the custodian for the client assets and the secured creditor that took the client assets, which prior to 2005, everything that happened there would have been constructively fraudulent. But the bankruptcy judge, this is the Southern District of New York, which is Manhattan, found in favor of J.P. Morgan that J.P. Morgan absolutely was entitled to take the client assets. The only question was whether J.P. Morgan was an entitled person basically to take the client assets. This is an important point because it's not all secured creditors that have this power to take the client assets. It is only the very biggest banks that are entitled to take the client assets. So they don't want anyone else elbowing in there to take anything, only they will take them. And in this judgment, the judge asked the question, is JP Morgan a member of the protected class? Used explicitly those words and said quite obviously, as one of the biggest banks in the world, the biggest financial institutions, JP Morgan is quite obviously a member of the protected class. To see this in a bankruptcy case law from the court, I think that's pretty strong stuff. It's like that document directly from the Fed provided to the legal certainty group. This is hard to refute. A custodian has the records of who owns what. It's in their books and records, but that's all it is. It is the records. The system has been changed so that the property itself is then transferred up to a higher level and held in pooled form. So you deal with your broker to execute a trade to buy or sell something and you get a representation of an account that shows you what you have in it. 
but the assets are not held, even at what you think is your custodian. It's transferred to a higher level. In the U.S., that is the Depository Trust Corp, which holds all securities in the United States in pooled form. So the brokers themselves are low down in the food chain. In Europe, there are central security depositories at the national level that give an appearance of a registry of ownership at the national level. But by law, under something called the Central Security Depository Regulation, CSDR, which was imposed in 2014, by law, these securities are transferred by a mandatory link to an international central securities depository. So they want cross-border mobility of the collateral to occur. So in Sweden, for example, you have a local registry, but then the securities go up to Euroclear Belgium. So they are subject to Belgian law, not Swedish law at that level. And then the collateral is transported to underpin the derivatives complex, which is housed at the central clearing counterparties. The acronym is the CCPs. So this is the purpose to take the collateral up to this uh, central clearing counterparty level. And we know from a BIS document that is now over 10 years old that the systems are in place for the movement of this collateral on a global basis nearly instantaneously, especially in a crisis, to be swept to meet the collateral demands of the system, the secured creditors. Also associated with this, we have to understand derivatives used to be bilateral. You knew when you entered into a contract who your counterparty was, and you looked to the credit quality of that counterparty. They were on the other side. In the name of reducing risk, they actually increased risk. They created a monolithic risk because they forced central clearing so that the CCP is the counterparty on all derivatives contracts. The central clearing parties are the counterparties. Now, what does that mean if the central clearing party itself fails? That means there is no counterparty there to honor the derivative contracts for all manner of things, but especially people that think that they have hedged their downside risk in the collapse. There's no counterparty. And the central clearing parties have been deliberately undercapitalized. So in Europe and the US, there are discussions by the participants themselves about the possibility of the central clearing parties failing. In the last few years, there have been discussions of this. And if you look at DTC, itself, which houses all the securities in the U.S. securities complex and is the central clearing party for most derivatives, they have discussion of how they will start over again when the central clearing party collapses and explicitly that they will not put more capital behind it but they have pre-funded the startup of a new central clearing party when one of the existing ones fails. So it's 
essentially planned and the entire capital base of depository trusts, so essentially the entire U.S. securities complex is housed there and all derivatives. The entire capital is $3.5 billion. Individual banks have derivative positions the size of the global GDP. So something will happen to trigger this collapse implosion. I would say the cake is already baked at this time. It's been made to happen because to take interest rates after having kept them at zero for 15 years, which was insane to begin with and did not have to happen, was made to happen. And then in essentially a year to take that back to over 5%. And if you're noticing, they're not stopping. The rates are continuing up. I'll go through what that means for the global financial system. Just this week, I noticed recent BIS warnings regarding potential coming margin calls at central clearinghouses as perhaps stoking negative feedback fire sales, which could set off future financial crises. Nice potential, we told you, what might set it off trial balloons in print, perhaps. I'd like to hear your thoughts from those of you who have seen and read The Great Taking. For those who have not yet, the links to both the free video and free PDF versions are below. That's going to be all for this week's SD Bullion Market Update. As always, to you out there, take great care of yourselves and those you love. If you enjoyed this video, hit the like button and share it with those you love. Subscribe to our channel and hit that alert button so you know when we publish new Bullion Market Updates.